This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome again to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations. I want to thank you again for tuning in. And today we're coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the site of the 2008 AHA, American Association for Justice, annual convention, where literally thousands of trial attorneys are gathered for their meeting here in the birthplace of American democracy. And I'd, uh, I'd say to all of you that if Philadelphia has grown up quite well from its birth, uh, it's a fascinating city to visit. I recommend it highly. It's uh, I've been here many times uh, in, the, in the past uh, 20 years, and uh, I think it's never looked better. Well, we're fortunate today to have as our guest one of the great trial lawyers of really of all time, attorney Tom Girardi, founding partner of Girardi and Keese in Los Angeles, California, called by some a Goliath slayer. That's interesting, Tom. Uh, King of class action suits. And some of uh, Tom's better known cases are uh, the one against Pacific Gas and Electric, a $333 million settlement to the 650 residents of Hinckley, California, uh, many of you uh, remember that case from the movie Aaron Brockovich. Uh, Tom, I don't know if you got to hang out with Julia Roberts on that, but uh, that well, uh, we definitely good. we definitely met her, and well, uh, we did spend some time, and that was nice. Well, that, you didn't invite me, I know that. Well, against Lockheed, uh, your firm represented 625 former and current Lockheed employees who accused the aerospace firm of exposing them to dangerous chemicals without their knowledge. They settled out of court for uh, another 33 million against Merck. Uh, you were one of the architects of the $4.85 billion Vioxx settlement. So anyway, you cut it, Tom. You uh, you show up a lot in these National Law Journal, Super Lawyer magazines, et cetera, and you name it as one of the top plaintiff law firms in the country. Tom, I want, you to, I want to welcome you to Ringo Radio. That's the nicest uh, introduction I've ever had, Larry. That's really uh, that's really kind. I, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And I read it just the way you wrote it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, well, listen. Well, I I had Goliath on two lines. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, over forty years of practicing law, Tom. Uh, what's inspired you? You know what? Um, to be honest with you, if somebody had buy the gas, I'd do this job for nothing. This is so much fun. You know, I and I think the lawyers in our firm think the same thing. There are a lot of lawyers, Larry, out there these days that are dissatisfied with their jobs. You know, maybe the money is good, but the job isn't good. Believe me, our stuff is so much fun. Taking them on, you know, I mean, catching these birds leading off first base too much. <laughs> um, it's a it's a, a wonderful, wonderful job, and I'm as excited about it now as I was when I tried the case of Keck versus Higgs. That was the first case I tried. You always remember your first time. Right. Lost the case. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting. You obviously, I can see it in your face. You love the profession. You love what you do. That's the secret of most people's success. You really have to like what you do. You have to have a, a joy and, 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 a, and really a passion for it. You know what, though? More, more importantly, um, a lot lawyers do an awful lot of good. Yeah. You know, the only thing that corporations understand when they're doing the wrong thing 
uh, is the possibility of a lawsuit. The SEC doesn't protect anybody from all the money that got stolen from the pension funds down there in Enron and other places. The SEC didn't do anything. The Food and Drug Administration, they don't protect anybody from any drugs, in essence. I mean, they have all these drugs that they've approved that are now off the market because they cause terrible injuries. So, in essence, the only leveling ground that people have are the trial lawyers. So if you're making a bad tire and shipping it out anyway, as one company was doing, hurting people because the tire goes, the only thing they would understand would be the fact there's going to be a lawsuit here and you're going to have to pay for this. That's the only leveling field that people, normal people have. No question. Well, you know, here we are at uh, the AAJ convention, and, and, you know, they've recently changed their name, AAJ, from, from ATLA. I voted against that. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's catching on. It's like most things. Uh, with a little time, uh, we'll probably forget the old name. But change is the constant in life. And I guess my question to you is, what's changed in the life of trial lawyers over the years that you've seen? What's, what's, how, is the, how has it evolved? Well... At first, uh, when I started practicing, there weren't really moral issues involved in my cases. Um, A lady would slip and fall at Save-On Drugstore on some ice cream that was on the floor, and the claim was, well, they should have cleaned it up. Save-On didn't intend for anybody to get hurt and so forth. Now, more and more of the cases I have, there's a moral issue there. We took on the energy companies, Sempra and El Paso, for the manner in which they were treating people and obtained about $3.5 billion back to the ratepayers because they were, this just wasn't an oops. They were doing this intentionally. Some of these drug cases that we'll talk about a little later, that isn't an oops either. You know, you mentioned Aaron Brockovich, and we did get a lot of, you know, good publicity for that, of winning that case, but... Here's how we really won the case. We got an envelope one day, delivered, printed, and we were trying to show that PG&E knew about the fact there was chromium in the water. We didn't have much evidence of that. And lo and behold, we opened the envelope, and there are two memos. One is a memo from the foreman who was at the site to PG&E and says, we have, this place is loaded with chromium, Should we give the people bottled water? And then we have the answer from an executive vice president. The less said about this, the better. It could lead to liability problems. So now then, you don't really have to be a hotshot lawyer (laughs) to win that case. You know, once with that. And after all the publicity and everything else, to this day, we never knew who sent it. Nobody ever called and said, hey, you know, what would you think of my letter or my notes or anything like that? And we get those probably in one out of ten cases. That's rare. Well, you know, you've done a lot of product liability litigation. And, uh, you know, speaking of what you just talked about, trying to fix problems and, and, and cause corporations to change their, their, the way they act, have corporations that manufacture these consumer products that have gone wrong, have they taken notice? Are, are they generally safer now, these products, due to these class actions that have revealed the negligence or misconduct? Have things gotten better in the, in the, in the manufacturing world because of product liability litigation? You know, I think so. I really do. If you look at the way in which workers were warned about chemicals that they had to use in the workplace, that stuff could cause cancer, could cause respiratory problems, whatever. 
in the old days, there was nothing on it. Hey, worker, you know, here's a rag and go put it on the plane. Now you have very good warnings about those things that go not only to the workers, but also to the supervisors and so forth. So I think, you know, I really do. You, you get a little bit jaundiced because I see the bad cases, you know, and we see where it's gone wrong. But by and large, I think things are much better for people. I think that some companies especially say, man, we better not do this. What's the what's the risk here? And you, uh, you see things getting better, I think. Well, that's encouraging, uh, Tom. But now let's move to a, a, a more controversial case, the Vioxx case. And Vioxx is a product that Merck actually took off the market. They, they, it wasn't something that they, they actually removed it from the marketplace, and there was some uh, legal victories along the way. But now if you were keeping score with some of the latest issues that have come up around some of these appeals on these verdicts, how do you think things are going in the Vioxx litigation? Well... You know, the Vioxx litigation settled, so that was that was very important. The Vioxx was really bad stuff. There's no question about it. And Merck knew it was bad stuff. Before they gave the first tablet to somebody in clinical trials, there was a memo that says, are we going to give aspirin along with this if we don't, we're going to have so many MIs, heart attacks, it's yeah. going to uh, kill the drug. So now then, undaunted, they launched this ad campaign. They spent more on advertising than Budweiser did to launch Vioxx wow. and sold uh, tons of it. And in its wake, they left an awful lot of people uh, with heart attacks and strokes. We filed the first case in 2001 because we knew Vioxx was bad. Merck took it off the market in September of 2004. All during that time period, people were still, you know, consuming Vioxx. And the point you made is pretty good in terms of there were many of those trials that were lost. But almost every single juror felt that the product was bad. The real issue became did it cause the incident? And since Vioxx was made primarily for people 60 years old, 65 years old, you know, for their aches and pains, those people had other heart attack risks too. They were overweight. Maybe they had a long history of smoking. Maybe they had a prior heart attack. They had massive cholesterol. So for those jurors to try and sort it out, was it the Vioxx or these other issues, those were those were difficult. But almost every juror in every single case, said, yes, this is a bad product. However, that evidence was pretty clear. Well, in 2007, there was this uh, pretty major settlement with, with Merck. Right. We, you were instrumental in that. I, I was. I, tell, tell us about that. Well, the great thing about the jury system is that it's everybody's report card. We had won some cases against Merck, and those jurors were really upset with some of their conduct. And we had lost some of those cases against Merck based upon the causation issue, that other issues caused the heart attack, not necessarily the Vioxx. Well, that being the case, that helps us. Had we won every single case, how could you settle the cases? Right. Had we lost every single case, how would Merck ever want to pay anything? So the fact of the matter is the jury system's a great leveler, man. Everybody got a report card. 
Merck didn't have anything to crow about because they got massacred several times. Believe me, we couldn't get too cocky because we lost some of those cases as well. And that's what forged really the resolution of the case. Well, has the climate for jury verdicts, for example, in the, in the Vioxx case, has that changed over the years? Has the climate today, uh, is it more amenable to some of the things you're talking about? Or is, is the jury system, you know, constant? It can't be, can it? Oh, no, no. It, it changes just like, uh, just like people change. And it seems to me that jurors are very happy to get involved and award large sums of money on big cases. Um, they're not too interested in a minor whiplash. You know right. what I mean? That's been that's uh, those cases are very very difficult ever to ever to win in a courtroom. But major cases, major injuries, major tragedies caused by somebody, jurors are very easy to respond to that. And I, of, I often hear that uh, this uh, lottery mentality. You know, when they see the baseball players getting huge contracts and, and lottery winners getting multi-millions, that their mindset is a little more amenable to giving big numbers if, if it's proven. Is that, do you find that to be true? Yes. I, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's the lottery mentality. I'm not going to go along with you there. But I think that people do have an understanding. You know, let's suppose the, the breadwinner gets killed, the mom whose job really is to raise the three boys. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, she has to replace that income somehow and continue to raise the three boys. And a case like that, I think jurors certainly understand that that's going to be a massive amount of money that this man would have earned over his lifetime. And they have to give it to. They have to They have to award that. So let me tell you this. Jurors are terrific. Jurors get it right. I've lost cases. And although I didn't think it that day, a couple weeks later, I think I said to myself, I think they got it right. You know, the, the whole idea of 12 people who don't have a stake in the action to come up with a decision is pretty good. We did a, um, we did a demonstration at Loyola Law School. We put six appellate justices on one side of the room. We put... 12 regular juries that, jurors that we got from Los Angeles, and we tried the case. Each of the justices had to put down his or her decision without talking to anybody else. The jurors then went upstairs and deliberated, and we eavesdropped on We told them we, would, we wanted to listen to them, so we eavesdropped on the jury deliberation. Five out of the six of those justices said, had I listened to those arguments back and forth with the jury, I would have come up with a different decision. Interesting. How about that? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the jury system in action. It's the wisdom of the common man. Right, exactly. And it's, uh, it's encouraging again. Well, the majority of tort disputes, as you well know, never reach a jury verdict. Most, most cases are settled uh, before jury uh, trial. Uh, let's talk about that whole concept of settling cases. Uh, how do you feel about that aspect of, of your business, trying to settle those, negotiate those cases. It's changed over the years. You've got a lot of mediators involved. Now settlements are a little bit different, aren't they? No, of course they are. But the only reason that you can settle 97% of the cases is because you have 3% of them that are there to go to, to, <laughs> go to trial. You know? well said, yeah. And so what lawyers do, they look at, for example, we get a report of every jury verdict in California, 
and if we have we have many cases across the country and so we will get reports of all those jury verdicts what is the jury in bakersfield doing with this type of a case so we we have a pretty good idea from what jurors have done in the past what they're likely to do here so that 3% the influence of the jury is 99% even though 3% of them get you know go yeah, to trial interesting but i'm sure you have plaintiffs uh, in your own group of uh, cases where you would feel that even though the case is, is, is a good one for trial, that it may be in the client's best interest not to go through that process. And uh, what, what benefits do, do plaintiffs have that you've had that, uh, from, from settling rather than going to trial, whether it's the trauma of the trial, the, the heartache of the trial, or, or, or the uncertainty of the trial? Well, the problem is this, that all trials a gamble, even though I think in most of the cases, if you tried the case and won it, you would get more than if you settled the case. The fact of the matter is that it's somewhat of a gamble. And most of the people who've gone through a severe problem, who have lost a leg, have lost a husband, have lost a child, most of those people are just normal people. They're not independently wealthy people. So now all of a sudden, the trial is a gamble. And that becomes the hardest thing for a good plaintiff's lawyer you know, I would love to try this case. I think I could get more if I could try this case. On the other hand, man, I'm gambling an awful lot of money for this family. And that's where the pressure comes. Yeah, very, very true. Well, we're going to take a short break now. But before we do, I, I want to give you a clue as to the next question coming out of the break. You know, you're a plaintiff attorney. You face defense attorneys all the time. But it's interesting to me and our audience as to some of the best defense attorneys you've encountered over the years. So don't answer yet, but give a little thought to uh, some of the defense attorneys, some of the best ones you've encountered, who, were, who have been the best prepared, maybe most convincing, maybe some of the ones you'd rather not ever have to face again, and uh, the ones you really respect. So think about that, and when we come back from this word from our uh, sponsors, we'll talk to you about that. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's CLECenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and I'd like to welcome back our special guest, Attorney Tom Girardi of Girardi & Keese in Los Angeles, California. 
He's joining me here at the, uh, really the mecca for trial attorneys, the AAJ 2008 convention in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So uh, I warned you before the break, Tom, so here's the question. Who among the defense attorneys you've encountered are some of the best? We only have two hours, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be hard to do. Well, I'm glad there are that many. Go ahead. <laughs> you know what? There's, um, they have one common theme to them. Uh, they have a gentleness about them. You know, in the cases that I get to handle, or for the most part, are fairly serious cases, I'm up against the top guys at Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher, and the top guys at Latham, and the top women at, at Kaplan, and so forth. And the fact of the matter is, the one quality they all have is they're very easy to deal with. Hey, uh, can I postpone the deposition? Oh, sure. Uh, can we move the trial date? Oh, great. Everything you ask, basically, they want to give you. Maybe they're afraid of you. No, I don't think so. It's a, there's method in their madness because that, that same warmth comes through to a jury. They're very genuine people. You know, most people have an idea that, you know, to be a good lawyer, you have to be yelling and screaming right, all the yeah. time. And that's what is frequently seen on, on television. That isn't it. You know, you're a persuader. You know what? If you think about it, you've been persuading all your life. Um, at age five, you persuaded your mom to stay up late. Right. Um, at age 16, you persuaded your dad to give you the keys to the car. Sometime after that, um, I remember a Pacific drive-in theater when I persuaded. Um, so you've been persuading all your life. Now then you become a lawyer and you're in the persuasion business and you forget how you got the keys to the car. You forget how you got to stay up late. And I think that the real pros out there, be it Ernie Jetto at Latham and Watkins, Stu Gordon at Gordon and Reese, uh, Harvey Kaplan at, out of Kansas City. All those lawyers have that same thing in common, man. They're a bunch of they're a bunch of nice birds. I mean, there's no question about it. Well, that's 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 good to hear. And you know, and I know some of those folks pretty well myself. And I, I agree with you 100. percent You have quite a few lawyers now in your firm, though. Now, Tom, right? 25. It's grown quite a bit. Grown quite a bit. You know, you have. Um, when you undertake to uh, have these rather large cases and you're up against law firms that can throw 10 or 15 lawyers at you, unless you have the same ability to fight back, uh, then you lose. And so we're, uh, I think we're up to 32 lawyers, but we have 100 people on payroll. Interesting. We have a lot of law clerks uh, that enjoy their work very much there and expose them to the trial practice and you know so it's nobody leaves our firm larry you know it's funny at ringler associates we used to we used to really uh trumpet that fact that when people joined us uh they were for they, life they yeah. were they were for life now times change a little bit and, and things happen but uh that, that that's a good sign it's a good sign when people want to stay with you we have secretaries there 35 40 years we have everybody there was a law clerk keys the firm is girardi keys Keyes was my law clerk, and then my brother Jack was his law clerk. Finnerty was Jack's law clerk. Amy Solomon was Finnerty's law clerk, and and everybody's still there. Tremendous. Well, we were talking a little bit earlier about cases that settled rather than going to trial, and uh, let's talk a little about settlements. And since you know we're in the structured settlement business, let's talk a little bit about structured settlements. And when you have clients who try to settle their cases and are involved in that. Instead of receiving a lump sum, what's your perspective on uh, on suggesting or uh, 
encouraging them to do a structured settlement? This is, a, this is real easy. I think it's malpractice for a lawyer in most cases not to consider structuring a settlement. Here's the case. The widow now with three children has to support those children. Mm-hmm. She's not a banker. She's not used to financial things, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, here's $2 million. I've seen it happen so many times. For good reasons, people start advising her. They all have deals to go into. She's the only person around who has any dough. Mm-hmm. The next thing you know, all the money's gone. But the problem isn't gone. You know, in these cases, when you settle these cases, it isn't money that you earn. It's money to replace something. You know, if you go earn two million bucks, then go blow it, do whatever you want to do with it. But if you're trying to replace, say, the breadwinner in Denise Cooley's situation, where now she has the three little boys that she's got to raise, if you have, uh, if your leg has been amputated, so now you're going to have the problems that, it, then that money has to last as long as the problem's going to last. And quite honestly, people just don't have the ability to be able to properly invest the money and know what to spend it on. So I think they did a survey, I think, Larry, that said that uh, in 80% of the people had gone through their settlements within five years. Yeah. You know, I've had cases as a younger lawyer where I would settle a large case and then a couple years later, the guy would call and say, could he borrow some money? He's all out of money. So the fact of the matter is being a lawyer requires, without a doubt, to consider structured settlements in in most of the cases. Well, I'm glad you have that point of view because I think it's 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 terrific. Uh, I I had a situation in Boston where some plaintiff lawyers wrote an article in Lawyers Weekly saying, you know, structured settlements are fine, but they can do better with other investments uh, and get better get rates of return. And I had to write a, a letter back saying. You know, you're acting as if these funds that these plaintiffs are getting are some big investment portfolio funds. These funds are basically to live their lives, to, oh, to pay no, their bills. You know? No question. Yeah. And the advantage of the structured settlement, of course, those funds come in tax-free. Right. If I take a million dollars and make, make money on it, I have to pay taxes on that interest or exactly. that reserve. If I get that same money in a structure, that comes to the client tax-free. So you'd have to do real well out there investing that dough to overcome the tax ramifications of a structured settlement. And, there, and there's something to be said, Tom, and I know you agree with this, about the peace of mind of you know, putting your head on the pillow at night knowing you're getting a check every month rather than wondering what's going on in the market, especially these days. You know, lawyers can sleep a little better, too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, you know, areas of litigation... Uh, are on the rise in various areas of business, intellectual property and some of the other areas, corporate governance. Uh, no small measure, I'm sure, to the rise of technology. Technology is booming. You get, you get all these MP3 players, people copying music, all kinds of things going on. What, what do you think is going on in these new pra- areas of practice for lawyers as we move forward? Uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. It's a terrific opportunity. And it's one that jurors are very friendly to. You know, some jurors, as we, you talked about a little bit earlier, uh, maybe have a little bit of a, a concern about personal injury quote cases. These cases, they get into a man, they're, they're ready to go. Yeah. And um, when you have a young writer coming up with this, and then all of a sudden the show is made, and lo and behold, he's out, and he has the documents and the meetings and the script and everything else, 
jurors are very sensitive to that. And so the, we have a whole bunch of cases against Hollywood. Uh, you know, I, I think in Hollywood, I, I think they think they get extra points if they steal it, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That, you hear stories about it all the time, the screenwriter that uh, you know, got, got shafted. Well, listen, here we are at the uh, convention in Philadelphia, and I'm sure you've been active in a lot of the things and still through the next few days. Give me some final thoughts, Tom, as we wind this down as to what you see as the, uh, the, you know, the horizon here. What's going on? Well, first of all, with respect to this meeting, it's terrific. You have lawyers from all over the country sharing stuff. You know, I mean, if you have this particular type of case, there are some panels so that you can stay right up to date with it. So that's a, that's a wonderful concept of lawyers getting together and say, look, at the, here's where we better go with respect to this. But I think the practice of law, I, I hope that it, it stays intact. I hope that uh, young lawyers out there can have as much fun doing this as I've done. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. There's something so darn exciting, Larry. You're trying the case. And all of a sudden, there are three buzzes in the courtroom, which means the jury has a verdict, okay? (laughs) The heart beats a little faster. And I don't care if it's over 25 grand or over 25 trillion. And that jury comes into the room. And you say to yourself, God, this is it. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing like it, man. <laughs> well, you know, it's infectious uh, what you're talking about here. I, I know one thing: when you decide to wrap up the law, you got to be a teacher. You got to go out there and help those young <laughs> folks because you you really enjoy, uh, and, and I enjoy listening to you. Well, I want to thank uh, really our true legend in the in the legal profession, Tom Girardi, for being our guest today. Uh, and our listeners, you should know that uh, you can download any of our shows from RinglerAssociates.com or from the LegalTalkNetwork.com. And, Tom, if someone wanted to reach you, how would they do that? Um, easier to reach me in Los Angeles, although, as I mentioned, we have cases sure. all over the country. But it's Girardi Keys. Um, my number is 213-489-5330, and we return every call. Well, I hope you get a lot of them. Well, once again, thanks, our listeners, for uh, tuning in. Now go out. This is Larry Cohen, your host. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network.